open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11, and if you'll mark your place there and turn over to Acts chapter 2, Luke chapter 11, then turn over to, uh, to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be turning uh, uh, several books today in the message, we'll start in Acts chapter 2, if you've been with us for the past year, we've been going through a study through the books of First and Second Samuel. And uh, really, the reoccurring theme in the books is the battle of men and their earthly kingdoms and the greater battles of men and the kingdom of God. And uh, really, the questions of who will rule, who will we listen to, who will we trust, who will we obey. Uh, Is it going to be God's kingdom or is it going to be my kingdom? And just as David and King Saul and the nation of Israel had to wrestle with these questions, and we're going to see when we pick up in 2 Samuel Uh, Starting next week, this battling continue of, hey, who is it that's going to rule? Just as they have to answer these questions, we have to answer that question. Who who am I going to trust? Who am I going to obey? Who's going to rule my life? Who am I going to listen to? Most importantly, whose kingdom am I going to be about building? Am I going to be about building my kingdom or God's kingdom? And as we're transitioning between these two books, thought it would be a good idea for us just to take a, a pause here for a couple of weeks and look at what are the foundations of a healthy church. When we consider that question of whose kingdom am I building, well, if we're going to say as Christians, well, obviously, we're going to build the kingdom of God, we really have to have an idea as a church, what are the pillars that we build upon? The foundation being Jesus Christ, and the pillars of the church, what do we build upon? And so looking at that here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, And taking some foundations here that we see in the early church and and extrapolating those and looking at our church and saying, okay, how how can we emulate these things? And if you were with us last week, we started this. We were in uh, Acts chapter 2 from verses 40 through 47, looking at the pillars of a healthy church. So here in Acts chapter 2, we picked it up in verse 40 where we read, And with many other words, he, being Peter, Uh, testified and exhorted them, the people that had assembled together, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Jesus has told his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the gift my Father has promised, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, And so the disciples obeyed, they waited upon the Lord in prayer, and Jesus poured out his Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And in the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, the disciples went out, and they all began to, to preach and to proclaim the goodness of God. And by the power and the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit, they did so speaking in different languages than they normally would speak. Languages that they themselves in the natural did not have the ability to, to speak or proclaim. But under the moving work of God who spoke the heavens into existence, who created man out of the dirt and breathed life into him, God breathed into these disciples and allowed them to speak in a language that they didn't naturally possess. And so each one of them speaking in various languages and God strategically doing a work because he had assembled lots of people together from different diverse areas, all speaking different languages, there to worship the Lord on the day of Pentecost. And so the Lord does this supernatural work so that they each are speaking in their language and they're proclaiming the the goodness of God. And the people are gathered together and they're like, what on earth will this mean? That's literally what it means in the, in the original language. What, what does this mean? But really the attitude was, what will this mean? This is important. It means something. And then others just scoffed. They're like, these guys are liquored up. They're drunk. They're, you know, here they are 
Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he stands up and he proclaims to everybody, look, these men aren't drunk, as you assume, but no, what's happening in them was prophesied by God. This is a supernatural work. And Peter goes on to proclaim the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we read there is that with many other words, he testified, he's preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we saw last week that this is the, the, the first pillar of a healthy church is that it's a church that continues steadfastly in teaching that's anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we continue now, it says in verse 42, uh, uh, verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. There's a supernatural result to supernatural preaching. When you preach the word in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's results. And what happens here is 3,000 people hear and respond to the gospel and they are saved. And so now you've got a church. And what happens? What do you, how do you build on that? Well, we continue in verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together, had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people and the Lord, added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so we see there in verse 42, the remaining pillars of the healthy church, what did they continue steadfastly in? Well, secondly, not only did they continue steadfastly in teaching that was anointed by the Holy Spirit, but secondly, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We looked at that last week. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. Again, we looked at that last week. And, and, and uh, fourthly, they, they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. Again, we looked at that last week. And we saved this final point for this week. Fifthly, they continue, a healthy church, the pillars of a healthy church, is a church that continues steadfastly in prayer. And, and, and I wanted to be able to take, a, a, you know, the, an, an entire message to talk about this. There's really not enough to do justice. I got 50 pounds today to put into a 10-pound sack. And so we're going we're gonna to take a, a, a real look at prayer. I'll just simply say I'll do my best to cover it, but there's a lot about prayer that I'm not going to be able to cover in today's message. Now, we're digging in and we're, a- we're answering the question, why was prayer such a priority to the early church and why should it be a priority uh, for us? Now, let's begin with the simple definition of prayer. The simple definition of prayer is talking to God. And listening to God, having a conversation with God, which is an awesome privilege that we have as Christians. Now, I'll illustrate this, the awesomeness of the privilege that we have with, with a story uh, that, that kind of puts it into context. <clears throat> My son was, was an actor. He, was, he, he acted in a lot of different projects in Hollywood. One of the projects that he was associated with was the movie Aaron Brockovich. And he played uh, Matthew, the son of Aaron Brockovich. And Aaron Brockovich was played by Julia Roberts. And so the movie was filmed. It took two and a half months or so to film the movie. Uh, and, and so my son, every scene that he's in, he's in with Julia Roberts. So we spent basically two and a half months on the set with Julia Roberts, which is, which is kind of cool. Uh, I remember when we met her, she comes up to us. She's like, hi, I'm Julia. You're like, no kidding. You know? <laughs> And, uh, and so, 
Scotty working with her, interacting with her, well, she would occasionally bring her niece Emma to the set, and Scotty and Emma would play together and all, and they d- developed a friendship. And, uh, and so we were, we were done uh, filming one day, and we were going. We're, there was an ice rink in town. We were going to take Scotty down to the ice rink, and Scotty said, hey, can Emma come? We're like, yeah, that's cool. And so, uh, you know, Emma asked Julia, hey, can I go with him? She's like, yeah, go ahead. So, so we go, and we're, we're, you know, just having a day's activity. And uh, we're driving down the freeway in Ventura, which is where we were filming in this particular section of the movie. And Brenda's phone rings. It's Julia Roberts calling her just to kind of coordinate, like, hey, what's going on with, with, with Scotty and Emma and so on? Just coordinating when she's going to pick her up. Now, I'm driving, and in that moment, you just have one of these surreal, you know, <laughs> moments where you're like, my wife is on the phone with Julia Roberts. She just called her, you know. And later on, she would show up to pick her up, come into the, to the condo where we were staying. We were playing charades. She's like, yeah, oh, well, don't let me stop you. Go ahead. And nobody's going to do anything, you know. She's like, you know, yeah, figures. You know, nobody wants to act in front of Julia Roberts. So now, as cool as that is, it makes for a great story, you know. And, and it's, it's cool. Yeah, you know, Julia called me last week, you know, kind of thing. Um, her friends call her Jules, so hey, hey, Jules called us, you know. Um, kind of cool story and all, but here's the deal. We have the opportunity to have God call us and for us to talk to God. It, the, the experience with Julia pales in comparison when you consider that you've got the right and the privilege as a child of God to go to him anytime, day or night. You can pick up the phone, metaphorically speaking, hey, Dad, it's me. And, and he will incline his ear and, and, and be readily available to you and to me. This is the privilege that we have in prayer. And as a matter of fact, prayer is probably the single greatest privilege that we enjoy as Christians. In the book of Hebrews, and, and it's debatable who wrote Hebrews, I believe it's the Apostle Paul, uh, he said this, he said, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about the fact that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. That he, Jesus, was tempted in all ways, just as we are tempted, yet he is without sin. And so he there, being that great high priest, right, who who is now, the Bible says, at the right hand of the throne of God, praying for us. And he ever lives to make an intercession for the saints. And so here what you have, you understand that the role of the high priest was the, the, he is the guy that would go into the Holy of Holies and he would there make sacrifices for the sins of the people of Israel and he would pray to God, meeting him as it were face to face. And, and there, you know, in that place, what's happening is, this is a picture, God having instituted this in, in, the, in Israel's religious practices as a picture looking forward to Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest, who made the ultimate sacrifice for our sin and the giving of his life. The Bible says that he died on the cross for our sins in our place. And that when we, by faith, trust in his work, that that he died for our sins and that God raised him from the dead, and that we too can be raised from the dead into newness of life as we trust in the work of Jesus Christ, then then this is that that picture that the the high priest 
painted looking forward to that. Look, we, we have a great high priest who's made the ultimate sacrifice for us, and we can trust in him. Now, as Christians, because we are hidden in Christ, we have the privilege of going to God the Father. See, the Bible says that no flesh can glory in his presence. And so the fact is, is that if, you, if somebody wants to go face-to-face with God without the covering of Jesus Christ and his atoning work, man, you're toast, you're history, you're smoked. But because you and I, if we have surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, are hidden in Christ, then we can go boldly before the throne of grace. This is what Paul is saying in the book of Hebrews. We can go boldly before God. And we can say, you know, oh, look, God, I know I'm a blow it, but I love you and I thank you for what you've done for me. And God wants to hear from us. See, Satan, he will tempt us to sin and then he'll jump over the other side of the fence and he'll condemn you and he'll, con- he'll, he'll convict you and he'll say, oh, you can't go to God now. Well, look, you know, do you remember what you were doing last night, you big loser? And so we think, oh, gosh, I, I can't go to God because, you know, I've done something to say. No, 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 see... you're you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we have this great privilege that we can go before our Father in heaven and we can pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a great privilege that we have. Now, Jesus set the example in the Gospels for you and for me of what a praying man looks like. Jesus often, and I, and I encourage you, read through the Gospels and take note of, of how Jesus prayed and how often Jesus prayed. And we see over and over again Jesus withdrawing himself, going away to, to pray. Uh, we, we see it in John chapter 6, we see it in Luke chapter 5, we see it really throughout the New Testament Gospel. Where, where we, we see Luke chapter 5 telling us that Jesus often withdrew himself into the wilderness to pray. We see, and, and it's notable, and this stood out to me in, in just my studies this week, that often Jesus would withdraw himself a lot of times when there was great work that was taking place. And there's one particular day that the, the Gospels record in the life of Jesus where ministry started very early and he's doing great things and he's feeding the multitudes and he's healing people and it goes late into the night. People are bringing in people to, to, to heal and so on. Uh, by any standard, by any measure, a really successful day of ministry. And so what does Jesus do having worked from early in the morning to late at night? I'll tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't sleep in the next day. He wakes up very early and goes and withdraws himself and goes away to pray. And when his disciples finally find him, they're like, well, here you are. Where have you been, man? Everybody's looking for you. And, and so what you would think, and, and the way I would think, you know, as a pastor, is if I've got, you know, a rocking day of ministry and we've got a lot of momentum here, man, let's strike while the iron's hard, you know. The next day, it's like, let's get right back to it. But Jesus says, when his disciples go and talk to him and say, hey, look, everybody's looking for you. He says, look, we got to go. We're going on to the next town. Now, how did Jesus know that? Well, he's God. But he spent time with God the Father in prayer. And see, spending time with God the Father in prayer had Jesus in the place where, where maybe I might have made the decision, oh, look, the work is happening here. Let's stay here. No, being led by God, through prayer, okay, you know what? It's time for us to go. we got to go into the other towns as well. So critically important. 
And we just see over and over again Jesus withdrawing himself to prayer. Just a cursory read through the Gospels tells us that Jesus' prayers were intentional, that they were intimate, and that they were isolated. It's so cool. I found a place. I was talking to Brenda uh, today. I found a place this week where I can get away. It's just up, up in the hills of Temecula. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an oak tree there, and I threw a chair in the back of my truck, and I can just pull that thing up there. I don't get any cell phone reception up there. Brenda asked me if I did. I said, I don't know. And I looked the next time I went up there. I couldn't get in, which makes it even that much sweeter because it's just completely isolated. And it's a place where I can go and just be absolutely alone. I took a video of it on my phone just to you know, share with my wife just to see what it's like because it's just, you know, all you hear is the birds chirping and the wind blowing. And it's just an isolated place. And the thing is, is that, you know, Jesus did this intentionally. He, he maintained this intimate connection, and, and he often went away just for this time of isolation. Now, now, that's not a commentary, you know, that says, hey, we shouldn't pray together as a group. There is a time and a place for corporate prayer as well. But I just ask you the question at this point, how's your prayer life? Do you have those times in your schedule where your prayer is intentional? Where you, you block out and say, this is where I'm going to go to be alone with God and pray. And I, I love the fact, too, that it's isolated so often. And, you know, sometimes we men can be this way to where, you know, if I'm praying, like maybe even in my house, well, I'm not going to pray out loud. You know, it, it's this intimate conversation that I'm having with God. I don't necessarily want to pray out loud. And yet, you know, you go play some isolated place. Man, you can just talk and pour out your heart and just really connect with God the Father. Now, this had an example on Jesus' disciples. It most certainly did. And uh, turn over to, to uh, Luke chapter 11, if you would, where I had you mark your place. And we read in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. They seeing Jesus pray, they seeing how much his life and his ministry was shaped by his prayer life, and they recognizing, hey, we need to learn how to pray like the Lord prays. And so this is what Jesus says to them, verse 2 says, so he said to them, when you pray, now notice this is not if you pray, Jesus expects that we will be praying, so he said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now Jesus goes on from there and he tells a couple of parables. He says this, he says, uh, and he says to them, which of you shall have a friend And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. In this culture, if you have somebody come and visit you, hospitality is very critical. It's very important. Somebody comes to you, it's like, hey, let me give you something to eat. Let me give you something to drink. Let me care for you, and so on. And so Jesus, knowing that's their culture, he's saying this guy comes to him, and, and he doesn't have anything. So he was running to his his neighbor. Hey, help me out here. I'm going to be a rude host. 
And he, speaking of the neighbor that he just woke up, and when this says, when, uh, when he says, which of you shall have a friend, go to him at midnight. It's not 12 midnight like we might think. It would, what the idea is, it's flat out middle of the morning. It's maybe 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. You, you know, you've woken this guy up. And so this guy has been woken up. He will answer him from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise and give to you. See, here's the deal. You know, when, when in this culture, again, you would live, oftentimes the, the house was constructed in such a way that there was a couple of different levels to this. It was one room, a couple of different levels. You would take all your livestock, and they would live on the lower level, and then you would, would there be just on this, this raised level, that's where you would sleep with your, with your whole family together. And you moms know, you get your kids to bed, it's like, shut up, the house better be quiet. <laughs> Nobody better wake up my kid, you know? Yeah, I got a couple of my grandchildren staying with me. I got up this morning to prepare the message. I'm like out the house, down to the coffee shop. Normally, I would make a cup of coffee downstairs. I don't want to wake up the kids, you know? Get out, go somewhere isolated. And so this is the idea here. The guy's like, dude, don't, I don't wake up my whole house. I don't want to disrupt, you know, everybody and so on. And um, uh, where am I at here? So he says... Um, I cannot rise and give to you. Verse 8, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, still he says, uh, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now what this is not saying, Jesus is not saying that God doesn't want to be bothered by you. And then finally, he's like, oh, dude, shut up, would you? And the guy keeps knocking, and he's like, oh, he's going to wake up my family. I better get out of bed and get him some. This is not the, uh, the heart and the attitude of God. That's not what Jesus is trying to convey. What Jesus is trying to convey is the importance of persistence in prayer, of persisting in prayer. It's not speaking so much. He's using, a, a, you know, a anthropomorphism, let's say that three times, uh, of sorts, where he takes a human characteristic and he, and he describes God uh, through human terms. So, so this guy, you know, he's, you know, uh, his attitude, the man in the story, his attitude is, geez, you're going to wake up my whole household and you won't go away, so I'm going to help you out. That's not the heart and the attitude of God. God's heart and his attitude is he, he, he wants to, to hear our prayers, and he wants us to labor in prayer. Why? Well, because so often prayer is more about changing you than it is about changing your circumstances. And we're going to get into that more in just a minute. But, but the attitude and the idea here is Jesus is saying you need to, not only do you need to make prayer a priority, but, it, but, it, but you need to be persistent in it. And he continues, verse 9, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And in the original language, the, the idea isn't, hey, just ask one time. It's keep asking. So, so what he's saying is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. He wants us to be persistent and bring him all of our, bring all of our requests. Verse 10, for everyone who seeks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son, here's the second example, asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? See, what what Jesus is saying is, look, God is your heavenly father. He loves you. He cares about you. He concerns, he's very concerned about you. 
In other words, and Jesus alluding to this when he says, when you pray, here's how you're supposed to pray. Now, Jesus isn't saying when he said the Lord's Prayer that this is the prayer you're supposed to pray. It's okay if you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so forth. That's fine to pray that prayer, but that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying this is the model. This is the idea of how you're supposed to pray. And so we break that down. You see, first of all, that it begins with relationship. Our Father who art in heaven. And that, that, that name Father, it, it, it's, the, it's the word Abba. And, and it basically, it means Daddy. That you, that you, the God of the universe, you could call Daddy. And, and you, can, you, can, you can call him up. And my, my daughter Megan was just talking to me yesterday. She was over visiting and she was talking about, you know, some, some TV thing that she was watching. And, you know, the, the girl was there and her father, she's grown, this grown girl. And her, her dad's there visiting her and the dad says to her, hey, you want to go get something to eat? And the, the girl says, well, if you're buying. And the father says, well, you know I'll buy. And, and Megan was laughing about that because she says, that, that's, that's you, you know. You know, you take us out to, you buy, she, we went to go visit my dad in the hospital recently, and we go, we go to dinner. She's like, Daddy, would you, would you take me to dinner? Of course I will. And she knows, you know, she's going through the menu. Well, let's see, I'll take the steak, you know. Why? Because Daddy's buying. And she knows that. And see, and then, and what is that? That's relationship. And that's what Jesus is saying, is the prayer is about relationship, man. It starts with a relationship. that you're going to your Daddy, and you're praying to Him. Not only in this model of prayer do we see that it begins with relationship, but prayer is based on reverence. Our Father, who art in heaven, and you're holy, hallowed be thy name. There needs to be this reverence in approaching God. We need to remember that, 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 that we're approaching a holy God. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says this, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In other words, just have this heart of reverence when you come to God. Well, not only is it be, does it begin with relationship and based on reverence, but prayer is resolved to do God's will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to come back to that. Prayer also includes requests. Give us this day our daily bread. God is concerned about your needs. He wants you to bring your requests to him. Now, oftentimes, that's the whole extent of our prayers. Lord, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. I'll take all you gimme. You know, and it's this attitude of, you know, it's a laundry list of, of, hey, genie in the bottle, I want three wishes kind of thing. Now, Prayer does include requests, but it's one of many components of prayer. We'll come back to that. Mark 6.26, by the way, in that idea, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You're valuable, you're precious to God. It's okay to go to God with your requests. Not only do we see that you know, prayer includes requests, but also prayer releases Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a component of, of prayer where we remember all that God has forgiven us of and our obligation to forgive others as well. Prayer is that thing that releases. It's where we let go of all of our burdens. It's where we let go of the strife that we have. It's been said, as bread is the first need of the body, so forgiveness is the first need of the soul. And prayer releases us and allows us to be able to do that. 
We also see, see here in Jesus' model of prayer in Luke chapter 11 that prayer results in the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 13, Jesus concludes, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Greatest gift, the most powerful gift that any of us could receive is the giving of the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that. By the way, the receiving the Holy Spirit coming as a result of prayer. We saw it manifested in Acts chapter 2. The disciples waited on the Lord. And what were they doing when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost? They were praying. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That we don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. And so the, the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit through prayer is so critically important because it helps us to pray as we should. Well, prayer is not only a privilege, it's also the responsibility of every believer. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so we have this responsibility that when we pray, hey, we're admitting our need for God and our total dependence on Him. And therein lies the problem. Because what happens is, one of the biggest obstacles to pray is that we don't always depend on Him, do we? In fact, I won't ask for a show of hands, but if I asked you, do you feel like your prayer life is adequate, or do you feel like your prayer life is inadequate, most of you would readily admit that you feel like your prayer life is inadequate. And I'll tell you why we feel that way, and... and, We're in good company when we feel that way. There's a guy by the name of E.M. Bounds, and back at the turn of the century, he wrote many books on prayer. I highly recommend it if you're looking for source material. Just look up E.M. Bounds and, and, and read anything he's written on prayer. It's amazing. And he, right before his death, lamented that he didn't pray enough. But why is it that we don't always depend on God in our prayers? Well, turn, turn to 1 John Chapter 5, if you would. Keep your place here in Luke 11. We'll be coming back here at the end of the message. Go to Luke chapter 5. Mm. 1 John chapter 5, sorry. It's towards the end of your Bible, by the way. Just go to Revelation and hang a left, and you'll find 1 John there real close to that. So 1 John chapter 5. Pick it up in verse 14. Because I still hear some of you turning. I'll wait a minute. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Here's what John says. He says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here about prayer is that John says, if we ask anything. Now, you remember, Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, here's the model of prayer, here's how, you, here's how you're to pray. <clears throat> John here says, if we ask anything. And, and, and I think that that speaks to a lot of us because I'm amazed at the number of times that I don't even ask. I might be stressing about something, and I share with my wife I'm stressing about something, and she's like, well, did you pray about it? (laughs) I'll get right back to you on that, (laughs) you know? I'm amazed at the number of times that I don't pray, that I don't even ask. Now, I think there's two main reasons why we don't ask, and both of them have to do with trust. 
The first is because often we trust in other things instead of trusting in God. I'll use a financial problem as as an illustration. Sometimes, you know, instead of trusting in God and I'm stressing out about my finances, I'll look to myself. And I'll engineer the situation. I'll be like, oh, I got more month than money. So, uh, you know, I need to work some overtime. Or, or I need to sell something. Or I, I need to get a second job. Or I need to get a second mortgage. Or whatever it is. And it's okay <clears throat> to do what you can. But a lot of times what happens is I leave God completely out of the equation. And I t- heap on all of this burden saying, what am I going to do to engineer a remedy to my scenario. And God's not going to force himself on you. He'll be like, knock yourself out. And, and when you get good and tired of knocking yourself out, then you can come to me and ask of me, and, and God will move and work. And so a lot of times, instead of trusting in God, we look to ourselves. Or we look to someone else. We've got a problem, and it's like, man, I hope that guy comes through with the job he promised me, or I, I hope the state it, uh, it extends my unemployment, or, or man, I, you know, I hope the mortgage company will uh, approve the modification on my loan, or whatever it is. And so, again, I'm looking to someone else to solve my problem, but oftentimes I'm doing it without just saturating the thing in prayer. And so, because we're looking outside of God, We neglect to pray to God. Let me say that again. Because we're looking outside of God, we neglect to look to God. Now, again, it's okay to do your part. It's okay, you know, to, you know, it's been said, work like everything depends on you and pray like everything depends on God. You know, it's been said, when a a farmer prays for crops, he says amen with a plow. You know, and, and, and it's okay to, to do your part, but it all starts with prayer. We all have to be those that are laboring in prayer, saying, Lord, here's my scenario. Here's my situation. Now, I'm going to do everything that I can, but Lord, I'm, I, ultimately, I'm trusting in you. I'm looking to you. Because what happens then, if I'm doing that, then that allows God to steer me. Maybe, you know, I'm feeling led like, oh, here my financial situation is, and just using that as one of, of hundreds of examples we could use. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm begging you to change this. Now I'm going to do everything I can to work in this. But maybe it's roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And what's happening is God's really looking to, to steer me. He's looking to steer the, the course of my life in the direction that he wants to go. And so if I'm bathing it in prayer, then what that does is it, it allows me to hear from God and to be steered in the way that, that he wants me to go. Now, another reason that people don't pray is because they don't believe it works. Oftentimes, people just flat out don't believe it's work. Notice again there in verse 14, it says, If we ask anything according to his will. And, and, and what happens is people will say, Well, I, I prayed and God didn't do it. Right? That means prayer doesn't work. Look, just because you pray for something doesn't mean that God's going to give it to you. Just because you ask God for something doesn't mean he's going to give it to you. I asked my dad for a gun when I was five. He said no, you know, and, and I probably thought I was going to kill Bobby Hansaker across the street, which I might have, you know. So, so the thing is, just because you ask God for something doesn't mean you're going to get it. God knows what's best for us, and, and, and that's how God is. We have to think of it like we're kids. 
Because we are. He's our father. We're his kids. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's later. My son, when he was five, asked me for a gun. I said no. But when he turned nine and memorized his times tables, I bought him a shotgun like any good father would. It's funny. His teacher on the set, she's like, boy, he's really interested in learning his timetables. Scotty, you're doing such a great job. He's like, yeah, my dad told me to give me a shotgun if I learn it. She's like, well, I'm not going to teach you time tables then, you know. <laughs> Liberal teacher on the set. I said, now that boy will get a shotgun. Take him to the men's events, you know, when he was nine years old. He'd outshoot two-thirds of the guys, you know. Yeah, it's just awesome. Anyway, so the thing is, is that we look to God as a father. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Hey, sometimes it's wait. Listen, another problem that we have in prayer is that some of us think of God like a pinata, you know? And, 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 and so, you know, you want something and it's up there, you know? I want a new car. I want a new boat. I want a smoking hot wife, God, you know, whatever it is. And so because you see God as a pinata, you see prayer as the stick. And it's like, if I just swing this thing long enough and hard enough, eventually, man, I'm going to connect and out are going to come all the goodies, you know? And so a lot of times, this is our, our approach to God. But see, it doesn't work that way because God is a good God. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. See, the fact is, is that God doesn't always give us what we ask for because he's a good God. Because he knows what's best for us. Again, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he said, look, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does God know how to give good gifts to his children? So we have to trust in God for, for the answer to our prayer. And the key in our prayer is his will. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Now, I'll tell you what a lot of people do instead. What a lot of people do instead is that their prayer is not about his will, it's about their will. And what happens is, is that they will live in habitual sin, and then when they eventually jack their life up and hit something hard, because when we live in habitual sin, that's what happens is we will eventually hit something hard. Well, then I want to run to God and say, God, fix it. You know, God, I know that I'm not supposed to be living with my boyfriend, and I know I'm not supposed to be sleeping with my boyfriend, but, but you know what? If I, if, I, if I stop sleeping with him, then I'm afraid he's going to leave me. So here's the deal, God. I'm, I'm going to continue shacking up with him. We're going to continue living together, but would you move upon his heart and ask him to marry me so that I can get everything right? God's not going to answer that because you're not in his will, you're in sin. And, and God's not going to bless your sin. Listen, God's will has to be lived in, not just something that we manipulate in prayer so that we can continue living in disobedience. Critically important to, to consider that. So you ask the question, well, why pray at all? If he's only going to answer the, pressions, the, the, the prayers that are in, in accordance with his will, why should I pray at all? Brenda and I, we were going out to dinner not too long ago. This conversation actually happens more often than, than not. But we're going out to dinner, and Brenda says, where do you want to go? And I go, I don't care. You pick. And she's like, well, okay, why don't we go to, uh, you know, whatever. She names a place. 
I'm like, oh, I don't want to go there. <laughs> She's like, well, uh, how about macaroni grill? Oh, I don't want to go there. Well, uh, okay, how about if we go to Olive Garden? Oh, I, I, I don't like that. She's like, well, clearly you got a place that you want to go. Why don't you just pick it? I'm like, fine, let's go get Mexican food, you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, the... <laughs> Praying according to God's will can seem that way sometimes, right? It's like, you know, oh, if I'm praying according to your will, I, you know, I want to go here, I want to go there, and God's like, no, nah, I don't want that. I want you, to, you know, to go over here. But here's the deal. Prayer isn't about satisfying our hunger. It's about satisfying our heart, right? And, and so God knows what's best for us, even sometimes if our heart doesn't know what's best for us, even if, it, if, if you know, our, our heart is hungering for something, God's like, look, that's not really the best thing for you. And, and the, the issue here in praying, and why do we pray in accordance with His will? Well, because, listen, prayer is more about moving our hearts than moving God's hand. You might want to write that down. Prayer is more about moving our hearts than moving God's hand. And see, so what God is doing, yes, he wants to accomplish his will and his purposes. And our will and our purposes don't always line up with his will and his purposes. And so in the, in the asking and in the seeking and in the knocking, God's wanting to move your heart and to change your heart and to conform you into the image of his son and to conform you into his will and what he wants to do. Billy Graham said, prayer is the rope that pulls God and man together, but it doesn't pull God down to us, rather it pulls us up to him. And this is the attitude of prayer. How many of you have prayed and found that God didn't do anything in terms of answering the prayer the way you wanted it? He didn't do anything to change your circumstances, but in the process he changed you. See, that's the idea. And God wanting to move work in our hearts. See, we're like, you know, Lord, I hate that guy, you know? And we're praying, you know, God, hit him with a bolt of lightning. Kill him, you know? David prayed, break the teeth of my enemies. God, break his teeth out, you know? And while we're praying that, you know, God will speak to us. and He'll be like, no, I want to save him and I want to use him. And, 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 and so, you know, we're like, oh, Lord, just kill him. Come on. And, and God's like, look, he speaks to your heart in, again in prayer. And he says, hey, Remember my word I said to pray for your enemies? Oh, yeah, you're right. I got to pray for them. Kill them, Lord. Amen. You know? And so what happens is this is our heart. This is our attitude. And then God says, no, I want to save him and I want to use him. And, and you're like, are you sure, God? That guy? Really? And God's like, yeah. You're like, oh, well, all right. I guess I can turn him over to you, Lord. Who are you going to use to save him? You. You're like, no, I didn't, you, you know, just somebody else, you know. God's like, yeah, get off my throne now because we're in prayer and you're dictating to me and here we are talking and no, you can get off my throne. You can pray and you can read your Bible and you can yield to me and slowly God begins to change my heart. So I got to be nice, Lord? Yeah, you got to be nice. I'm going to lead him, but yes, you're going to lead him to Christ. See, prayer isn't about leveraging God to build my kingdom. It's about loving God and building his kingdom. See, when we're Christians, our prayer life isn't selfish. It's not supposed to be selfish, where we pray only for ourselves. Yes, we can pray for our needs, but we're also to, to intercede for other people. We're to pray for other people. 
It's called intercession. And that's part of what we do in prayer, is that we intercede for people. And, and notice, that's where John goes next. He says, you know, in verse 15, and we know if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know uh, that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, verse 16, he says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. He's saying, look, this is the heart of prayer and you're in prayer and God's going to answer your prayers and in the course of answering your prayers, you got to pray for other people. You have to intercede for other people. And so he says, you know, praying for those who do not commit a sin leading to death. Then he says, there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. Now, here, here's the idea. Here's what happens. People bug us, and, and, and they sin against us, and at some point, we get so fed up that we want to trash the relationship. At some point, we get so fed up that it's like, I'm going to trash the, the, the relationship, I'm going to trash the reputation, and what happens then is that their sin leads us to sin, right? And, and John says, no, look, look, you go to God, and you pray to God, and you, uh, you submit your requests to God. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that your prayers don't end there. Remember Jesus telling his disciples, you know, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Right? And so the attitude here is that we, we can't just go to God with all of our prayer requests, but we have to go to God to intercede for other people as well. We need to pray for them. Listen, question for you today. Who are you gossiping and complaining about that you should instead be praying for? I would challenge you even to write a person's name down. For some of you, that's the price of admission right there. That's what God wanted to tell you today. You know, sometimes it's a matter of, hey, God wants you to pray for that person. Now, John says something that I want to deal with here, and, and uh, it, it's going to lead us to where, to where I want to go, so bear with me. But he says, you know, that there's a sin not leading to death. There's a sin that leads to death. You're like, what on earth is he talking about? Theologians have debated this section of 1 John for years, and uh, they give several opinions uh, on it. I'll share several opinions with you. I'll tell you the one that I think is right. First opinion is that uh, sin that leads to death is referring to really bad sins, right? Which is like saying water is wet, okay? <laughs> you know, but there are those that say, okay, when John's talking about there's a sin that doesn't lead to death, well, and there is a sin that leads to death, that, you know, oh, well, he's talking about a variation between sin. This is a really, really bad sin. This is a not-so-bad sin. This is, the Catholic Church teaches this. They talk about mortal sins and venial sins. And a mortal sin, they say, is a really, really, really bad sin. This is like being a terrorist or being a, a, an Oakland Raiders fan. That's a really, really <laughs> bad sin, right? And it, and it, and it leads to death. Um, a venial sin, they will teach, is not as bad. This is, this is less bad. This is like speeding or being a cat lover or something like that, you know? <laughs> it's still a sin. It's just not a really, really bad sin, Right? And, and so, you know, the, this, this is one interpretation that that's what this is talking about. This cannot be true because the book of Romans tells us that the wages of sin, of all sin, is death. 
And, and, and we need to know that. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So there's not a distinction between sins. It's not, it's not that one sin is really bad and one sin isn't. Now some theologians say what John is talking about here when he talks about sins that lead to, li- or sins that lead to death, sins that don't lead to death. Some say he's referring to apostasy. Somebody who was saved and who then lost their salvation. And, and there's a big problem with that position because Jesus said in John 17 that he keeps those who are his. And, and, and that's why John, when he talks about this, he says, um, there, is sin, uh, uh, there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Why does he say that? Well, because what he, the idea here is, look, he's not saying that you can lose your salvation. And, and so that, the, the idea is it, that that's a bad position. So, so, so what does this refer to? Well, the third position that people take, and this is a position that I take, is what John is referring to as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, uh, Jesus said that he can forgive any sin except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes a lot of people come to me and they're like, I'm, I'm afraid that I might have, you know, committed the unpardonable sin, that, that I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I'm like, the very fact that you're concerned about that tells me that you haven't committed that sin. Because really, just to, what is the basic explanation of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It's denying Jesus Christ. It's not believing by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins in your place. And so if you reject Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can atone for your sins anymore because you've rejected the only vehicle and way by which God has made forgiveness available to you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've rejected Jesus Christ, I would ask you to reconsider. Because, there, because you've cut off the only hope of salvation for you that God has provided for you. God loves you so much, he gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins in your place. And he wants to know you intimately and personally, and you can know him through relationship with him. Well, what's the point in our text in regards to prayer? Here's the point. The point is we love people. And because we love people and we long for their salvation, that they need to be a part of our prayer life. There needs to be an intercessory part of our prayer life. Yes, we, we pray you know, to our Father in an intimate relationship. And yes, we pray with reverence, praying to our Father in heaven. And yes, we submit to His will being done. And, and yes, we, we ask the Lord to meet, us our, you know, for, to meet our needs and to provide for that. And, and yes, we have to ask the Lord to, to work on our hearts so that we're forgiving as He's forgiven us. And these are all things that we need to pray for. Yes, we need to pray that God would take away temptation. All of these aspects together in this. But the idea here is that we need to be interceding in prayer for other people. And so what, what John is saying here is that, hey, listen, this, this, is, this is an important thing. As you're burdened for other people and you pray to God and you bring your request to him, and, and, and then there's a certain point where you just need to let it go, and you can let it go with him. Some of you have friends. You have maybe enemies. Some of you have family members that you have been engaged in intercessory prayer for. And you're, you're called to continue to be burdened for and pray for them. But at the end of the day, you can have peace just letting them go to God. And that brings us to the, to the third and the, or the, the, the final point here that, that I'll touch on. Well, the second to the last point that I'll touch on. Another blessing of prayer is peace. 
I put this scripture on the, the screen for you. Ephesians, or Philippians 4, 6 and 7 tells us, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, prayer can open for you a pathway to peace. And here what, what Paul is saying to the Philippians is, look, in your anxieties, and we are anxious for lots of things, but he says, in your anxieties, in everything you go to the Lord in prayer, you make your prayer and your supplications to him, and he says, to do so with thanksgiving. See, listen, when you're praying and you're asking God for something and you do so with an attitude of thanksgiving, what it does is it reminds you of all of the times and all of the previous prayers that God has answered on your behalf. When you are thankful and you give God thanks in prayer, it's an occasion for you to remember his faithfulness in your life. Lord, I, I thank you for my children. Lord, I thank you for my grandchildren. Lord, I, you know, I, I'm praying. Lord, I thank you for my grandson Knox. And as I pray for him, I remember the week that he spent in ICU when he was born. And our prayers for him. Lord, protect him. Take him through. And in doing that and in being thankful in our prayers, God reminds us, he speaks to our hearts. Listen, I've, I've answered your prayers before. I love you. I'm here. Some of you today, that's for you. You got to know God, God hears you. And he would have you in your prayer and the burden that you're carrying today just to be thankful and remember that all the times he's answered your prayers before and be reminded he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is in heaven. He hears. He knows. He cares. Let your requests be made known to God. And then what happens? You'll have peace. You'll be able to have peace because you say, you know what? My God is in heaven and he hasn't left. And he hasn't forsaken me. We'll go back to Luke 11, and I close really fast on this point. He says in verse 13 of Luke 11, If you then, being evil, I'm sorry, Luke 11, verse 13. He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Listen, the way I want to close today in this 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 contemplation of prayer and to say as we as Christians, what pillars are we building on? Prayer's got to be one of those that we continue steadfastly in. And what God has made available to us is that we can ask him for the filling and for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 